Hi, Christina here, founder of Liberate. I wanted to let you know that all of our amazing practitioners, healers, and intuitives are available for remote sessions. And we are continuously adding new classes, workshops, and meditations to serve you every week. Thank you for joining us, and I hope that we can help you liberate yourself. If you're looking for, like, uh, predictability, uh, certainty, and, like, knowing that everything is going to work out on your own timeline or something, you're on the wrong planet. Yeah, right. Hi, this is Christina Dam, and this is Liberate the Podcast, where we educate, motivate, inspire, and liberate your consciousness. Hello, welcome to Liberate the Podcast deep cuts edition. My name is Jean Grant and I am a breathwork practitioner and tarot reader at Liberate. And I'm also a sci-fi storyteller. And I am also very excited to introduce our topic today, which is intersectionality and empathy. Now, before I introduce our amazing panelists with us today, I just wanted to clear the air that we are not experts at intersectionality, but we are so eager to learn and grow and discover all together. But I can say we are experts at uh, empathy. We are growing experts as artists, as actors, as storytellers and healers. So before we actually introduce everyone again, I just wanted to also take a breath all together and say a little prayer. <sighs> so my prayer today is that I want to honor the sacred land of the Shumash and the Tongva people who are native to LA. I would also like to honor families, communities, and individuals who are directly affected from coronavirus, also who are directly affected from the California fires, as well as Hurricane Laura, and as well as police brutality. I also want to honor and uh, give my prayers to our community as people of this earth. May we all learn to have empathy towards each other. May we all learn to grow and heal for each other and for our planet earth, which is our only home. So thank you, I honor and see you all. Okay, so now let us introduce our incredible panelists. These women are my soul sisters that started out as a professional relationship. We are all members of Women in Film, and we, are all, we all met in our mentorship, which was the Actors Content Creator Mentorship through Women in Film, with our amazing mentors, Sarah Finn and Melanie Donkers. And we're sad to not have two of our uh, ladies here today, but I'm so excited that three of them could be here today with me. So how about we just all go around and introduce ourselves and what, what kind of storyteller you are and how you are truly feeling today. Ooh. Does Kyra, I want to go? <laughs> I will go. I will go first. Hi, everyone. I'm so um, honored and grateful to be here. I am a storyteller. Um, most of my work centers around the intersection of coming of identity and Black womanhood. Um, and what was the second question, Jean? How are you feeling today? How am I feeling <laughs> <Truly>. today? <laughs> I am feeling, um, you know, I'm feel, feeling very 
grateful and I'm feeling very privileged to be a creator who's in a safe space at this time. My needs are provided. I feel like it's a privilege with all this going on in the world. And it really just helps me tap into my my bigger mission, you know, my role to be a creative house of refuge and rest for for my people. So I just I feel really grateful because I've been able to create that for myself. And um, yeah, I want to get to work for the people. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, Kyra. And how about Lila Dupree? Hi. <laughs> Lila Dupree. I'm also uh, honored and grateful to be here. It's so wonderful to see you all, even if virtually. Um, I am also a storyteller. Uh, I tell stories in different ways, sometimes as an actor, sometimes as a producer, a director, and a writer. Um, and uh, my stories mainly center around um, subjects that are often taboo or um, not discussed where there's stigma, shame around them. And I like to tell them with humor. So I like to find that intersection of uh, a lot of pain and, and hurt and sadness and how we can find our way through those stories, honestly, but with lightness and laughter. Um, because I think it's a really helpful way to get through things like that. I, how I've gotten through some really tough things. Um, and that's hopefully a way to help other people get through those things. Um, and how am I doing? Let's see. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I really feel like, Kyra, I feel very lucky in a time that's really, really challenging um, to have a, a safe space to live, um, a safe space to do my work, um, a safe space that my family is in. Um, and, and to feel that I, you know, to feel provided for and to feel, um, uh, not anxiety about that. That's a really big gift right now. Um, and I'm very grateful also to be with you all today and to have this conversation. This is a real treat. Lila. And last but not least, Krista Hovsepian. Hi. Um, it's also so good to see all of your beautiful shining faces. Um, I'm Krista. I am the same multifaceted uh, human storyteller. <laughs> um, predominantly an actress, but have worked as a writer and director and producer and cinematographer, still photographer. And then I'm also an intuitive healer. Um, and the types of stories that I tell are always rooted in comedy. And I really like to look at, uh, the healing space or the health world. Um, my last series was about a neurotic yoga teacher who falls in love at Whole Foods. Um, and I'm focusing on bringing in some content that would typically fall into the sci-fi category, but that some of, I think most of us in this group experience in real life um, as it's tied to energy work or like telepathy and things like that and bring that into the comedy sphere. And how am I doing? Uh, overall, I'm doing really, really well. I have had a lot of people reach out to me since we were put on lockdown in LA. And I said, it's so interesting to a few of my friends because everyone reaches out with the same exact wording. How are you holding up? Mm -hmm. Like the assumption 
that everyone is going through it right now. Mm-hmm. And that was true for most of my life up until this point in time. It's like most of my life has been the shadow work and then this hit and I felt like I was just like knocked into alignment in a deeper way than ever before. And I felt this almost like electric sensation of like remembering that like, this is why I, I am here. This is why I incarnated like to be here for this time to be of service to others. Like you were saying Kyra too, like to, be that storyteller, that healer, to me, they're one and the same. Um, so, yeah, I felt very, like, alive and purposeful and excited, and I've seen more beauty than ever in this process, even though it seems very painful and messy to a lot of people who are in it. Beautiful. Thank you, Krista. And I guess the kind of stories that I tell, I'm a sci-fi storyteller and my work is, I would say if annihilation and close encounters of the third kind could marry each other and have a child, that would be my work. Or maybe a little bit more (laughs) outside of that, throw in a little bit of arrival, (laughs) throw in a little bit of the OA. Um, But most of my stories, um, you know, they, they come from my soul and a lot of my work in this lifetime has been healing my own trauma and family trauma. So that is always the spark and also the trauma of our planet earth too. So, yeah. All right. So intersectionality. Now I was first uh, introduced to intersectional feminism, which is a more, which is a broader and inclusive lens to feminism. So not only having one cis white woman's lens or even white male's lens on feminism, but to include everyone's stories, specifically people who have been oppressed. And then diving deeper into it, I learned more about intersectional environmentalism, which I thought was so fascinating because when you do hear environmentalism, you automatically think of global climate change, the polar ice caps melting, the polar bears are uh, becoming extinct. So at least that's what I automatically go to. And then I realized through intersectionality with environmentalism, it's talking about the people who are mostly affected by global climate change. So people who live in marginalized communities who may not have access to trees or parks. So especially in this heat wave that's going on, they they Mm. have more dangerous levels of temperatures. That's just one example. So but intersectionality, whether it's feminism or environmentalism, it's all interconnected. And it has that broader lens where we honor the oppressed and we raise them up to make sure that everyone is coming in at an equal playing field. So in my own um, learning of this, I have also developed my own personal connection and definition to it, which to me is more along when the earth is suffering, her children suffer. And when her children suffer, the earth suffers. So that's, that's my biggest takeaway with intersectionality. But I was wondering if uh, we can maybe hear your personal connection to intersectionality. Remember, there's no right or wrong answer because it's your personal uh, connection and your personal view. Well, I'll say for me, um, what's really interesting, I'm relatively new, I say within the past couple of years, really understanding the difference between uh, masculine and feminine energy. Um, As a 
recovering over functioner. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I realized that I had a lot of masculine energy, which I had adopted as my personality, but was really just a symptom of dysfunction. <laughs> and so for me, it's very interesting when you think of, um, when you think of it in that way, as, as far as the things that have been so damaging to communities, it is like that masculine energy that, mm-hmm. that obviously kind of drives like to be dominant and capitalism at all costs. And, and so on a personal level, because I've shifted and understood the place between the masculine and the feminine energy, I really, um, I just really gravitate and it really resonates with me this idea that when we have that inherently to be for the environment, I mean, you said mother earth, like there, there is this feminine energy to that. There is this idea of flow, this idea of um, doing what's good for all of us, you know, community wise or tribal wise. There's just this whole like ebb and flow that operates in such a different way Um, and so for me to have that personal experience where I'm just figuring that out in my life to see that on a bigger scale, it really, it really makes sense to me. And it it really, um, I think it's really important to look at it past some of the traditional things that you talked about, Jean, you think that it's specifically just climate when we realize that as communities and as people, that very masculine capitalistic energy is slowly eroding who we are and how we live and that that's another Mm -hmm. form of violation as well. So I just, Mm -hmm. I love opening up the perspective to what that is, especially in the time we're in right now, there's so many different ways to dive in deeper, to talk about different things. And we're seeing now how we're all connected with the pandemic and the racial climate and politically like it's, it's on such a deeper level that it's like literally getting to that place where we have to pay attention, not only individually, but also collectively where we absolutely have to. So I, I I love, I love the idea of what that represents. And I, I never really thought about it in that way, in that way before. Um, and, and now it's just more evident than ever that it's it's a very real thing. And um, I'm just really looking forward to having more feminine energy in our creative leadership and our politics and how we're making policies and more feminine energy also from our men mm. as well, because it's, it's, it's killing them too. It's making them vulnerable too. They're very vulnerable too. They're completely disconnected from... Mm-hmm from yeah. their heart center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's so interesting. Oh, yeah, go yeah, ahead. I, I don't know. I was going to say, it's say, so interesting that up. we went down this path because there are so <laughs> yeah. many paths we could take and I'm sure we'll take many more. Um, I'm not, don't quote me on this because I'm not verifying it. It was something I reposted on social media. Um, but I was just right before we hopped on this reading that apparently in um, ancient Egypt, it was the father, the son, and the mother, not the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost. And as patriarchy took hold, they literally made that feminine energy into a ghost. Mm. Um, and it was mm. talking about how like nothing mm. in nature exists 
I mean, like you said too, with Mother Earth, nothing in nature, nothing in this realm exists without the feminine. It is the yeah. divine creative energy. And I am very much feeling that. Like we need more integration. I don't think the solution is like swaying all the way in the other direction. Because um, I think we'll just run into the inverse of the problems we're seeing now. Mm. Um, and then I was also thinking of something I shared last week. It was one of my, he's a very controversial figure now, but one of my favorite Osho <laughs> passages. And he was talking about how, because we've aligned with this hyper-masculine energy of um, everything having to be scientific and evidence-based, and there's beauty in that, but we're missing out on the creative mystical side of things. And within the passage, he talks about how if you're looking at the polar opposite ends of the spectrum, you have the sort of extreme evidence-based scientists on one end and the mystics and the healers on the other end. And the bridge has always been the creative, the poet, the painter, the storyteller, mm. the sculptor. Yeah. And that has been so greatly devalued over the last several years that we've lost the bridge altogether. And the mystical has become this obscure thing that we don't understand. He talks about how we don't understand love. We don't understand music. We don't understand any of it. It can't be proven with evidence. It's experiential. And we've kind of tried to distance ourselves as a collective from it in many ways, or just to devalue it. So my hope is not only that we find greater integration in terms of mysticism and art, but that we are able to include the, the vast and varied expressions, the indigenous art and the sort of original African art and healing modalities and all of that stuff and really honor and celebrate it all without evidence. You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, cause we were just talking like before we even started this call officially, you know, um, about the idea of like letting ourselves have our own schedules as we were just talking about this literally like in our day-to-day -day right now during COVID and how by not scheduling quote unquote saying, okay, I'm going to do this from nine to 11 and this from 11 to one. And then by five o'clock, I'm going to achieve this right by saying, I'm not sure what today is going to bring. Uh, I'm going to, see what my brain is interested in and what it wants to do, right? I have certain books and things I've, I've, I have that I want to read. I have certain things that I want to write about. I have certain, and I'm going to allow my brain to guide me, right? But what that requires is trust, right? Trust mm. in something intangible that is incredibly hard in like, Kari, you talked about dysfunction, right? And, and so, and then we talk about patriarchy, masculine energy, and it's like the Western um, male narrative is a dysfunctional narrative, right? It's just because it, it's based on oppression in order for it to succeed, right? Just at the root of it. And it's oppression of across the board of so many different things. Oppression of peoples, oppression of genders, oppression of, uh, uh, of, of this spirituality, right? All of this, right? And so I think dysfunction, something about that word, Kyra, really like spoke to me because I've been engaging with some like deep work on like familial dysfunction, which I know we've mm. all talked about before in other conversations. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but, but, and then, right. And then, and then Kyra, you talked about how it's like, we all have to, you know, now is the moment, like we all have to address it. Right. We have to look at it more holistically. We have to. 
which I totally agree with. And, and it's so funny how the root of it starts when we're born, right? It starts with a family. It starts with the nucleus. It starts with how, and, and that to me almost is like also how we're connected to the earth. I don't know those seem parallel to me. Like they, mm-hmm. and if we, and the more that we're driven away from that, the more dysfunction increases, right? And the more that we then learn dysfunctional patterns. Cause like Kyra had mentioned, like I also have been learning more recently about it, patterns that I didn't even know mm-hmm. that I was repeating or that I was even performing, you know, until you have a chance to step out and see another version, to see another way. And okay. when all, and then coming back to like, if all we're seeing, right, if all I've been fed is this male hierarchy, right, about what books have value, what music has value, what, what faces have value, right, what mm-hmm. all of this, what body types have value, then, then I don't even know how to get out of it until I'm presented with another way. And so I love this idea of like, about going, coming back to intersectional um, uh, environmentalism, right, or if I'm getting the term right, and um, because it is, it's, so, it's all holistic, it's all holistic. And, yeah. um, and until we acknowledge that, which is certainly not linear, and it's, it's, it's not always explainable, right? And it's putting value in that and understanding the value in that. And that actually is healthier. And it's better business when we talk about storytelling, right? All of mm. these things. Um, and it's, it's hard to shift the narrative, man, right? It's really hard to shift the narrative, both on a personal level, on a familial level, on a smaller community level, on a global level, right? It's, it's really, really challenging. Um, but I think it's such a beautiful and important concept to, to bring out more into the world because there are those times, right? When we feel that holistic sense where we feel that groundedness. And to me, when I have those moments like that, I mean, they're extraordinary, right? They're that those moments of connection and feeling like you're connected to something bigger, which we are, you know, mm-hmm. but, but they we, should be ordinary because that's, they our should, natural that's state. right. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's our mm-hmm. natural state. I, I so agree with everything that you said too, but something that Jean said as well about our connection to mother earth. I keep feeling like everything that's going on right now with the fires and everything is representative of how much healing we as humans still have to do. And I keep saying mm-hmm. to people like the energy has to be released somehow Mm-hmm. And without any blame or judgment or shame, like if you're not going to do it, if you're not going to sit with your stuff, it's got to come out in some way. So mm-hmm. the more we avoid dealing with it inside of us, because we're all mm-hmm. connected to each other and the earth, the more it's going to erupt out and we're going to see earthquakes and hurricanes, and, like just more and more and more of releasing it. And as much as it seems kind of scary and overwhelming, it's also part of the healing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just uh, went back in time and I remember I had like just gotten out of drama school. I was about to move to New York and I was at one of my favorite bookstores in Portland and I was looking at this uh, collection of, uh, of uh, women throughout the 20th century of like poems and short stories. I started looking at it and I'm like, I think I've only really read male authors before this, like, it just like kind of clicked. I never consciously like um, went to go read a book by a woman, except for maybe Harry Potter, because that was a, you know, global phenomenon. But uh, I was just like, I need to, I think I need to read more um, 
stories by women. And it was that awakening that was, that slowly started to happen where I started getting really angry that I wasn't, that this wasn't introduced to me earlier on, that I wasn't exposed to this early on. And it, and it took me so long to get out of my own bubble from my own family of origin. And I was so angry. I was so angry at men, specifically white men. There was a time where I would only date non-white men because I was just so angry at the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. But then at the end of the day, I realized I'm like my anger is only making me suffer more. Like it's, mm -hmm. I have every right to be angry, but if I keep, uh, moving forward, if that's my leading edge, I'm just going to keep deteriorating my own body. Does that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, yes. it's yeah, like and a it wasn't, poison. yeah, it's like a poison. Like yeah. I hate the patriarchy. I hate the patriarchy. And it wasn't until I could finally heal the wounds of, uh, men in my own life from my own family of origin mm -hmm. and then starting to trust men again, that it, then I was, I was able to realize like, Oh, that's the key to, at least for me and then to be sustainable to, to heal these wounds. It's not to uh, destroy the quote unquote perpetrator. It's because we're all in that. We're all in that swamp mm. of the patriarchy. Right. So it's like, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So I, I'm wondering, do you, is there a time that you had that aha moment where you were so angry, but how did you, how did you reconcile? How did you, what was that healing process? Like, instead of being like, you're the perpetrator. Oh. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like that. <laughs> I mean, oh. for me, it, it, it comes in wave because in ways, because we're talking about intersectionality. And so I'm a creator. I'm a storyteller. I'm black. I'm a woman. Um, I'm also over 40. <laughs> like if you talk about like mm -hmm. all of these different, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I grew up overseas. So this, this form of um, kind of like violent American capitalism and racism, I, I didn't experience that firsthand until I was a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. So for me, it comes in waves. Um, I don't know if that those waves ever go away though, because I, for me, that's part of my learning. Like every time I learn a new layer about myself, then it does open up that, that door to why did y'all motherfuckers tell me like, why are we living like that? Like, you know, it opens up that <laughs> yeah. door. Um, yeah. the, the, the wave I'm currently in, um, is really around this idea of leisure um, which maybe ties into what you guys were, were talking about. And I think when people think leisure, specifically American culture, it's like, oh, I'm going on vacation or I'm mm -hmm. doing this, that. And it's like, no, like leisure around, like an ease around being. Like there's mm -hmm. something about a system that's set up where the first thing I have to do before I can breathe, create, talk to my God is I have to figure out how I'm going to take care of myself, mm -hmm. job, money, school. Like it's so like that that's your first, when you take away that someone has to, if I didn't have to worry about how to take care of myself, the amount of energy that can go to that other space is amazing. You create a different type of society, but one that goes against yeah. obviously this kind of very violent system that's been 
created mm-hmm. for us. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I've really been upset at like how hard I've basically pushed for 20 years of my life. <laughs> now that I understand this concept oh, of yeah. leisure, it's a different type of work. It's, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't mean that you're not working. Mm. It's a different type of work that is so much more productive. Mm, yeah. It's so much more productive. It, it's, it's, I've been in that place where I'm like, Kyra, you've got to learn how to get disciplined and do these blocks in this time of day or whatever. And the more I just start peeling back the layers and just doing my own work, doing a lot of just reading and kind of blowing my life up in certain ways. <laughs> um, you know, I realized that most of my day, which was like getting ready for the day, my, my spiritual center, my um, cooking something nice for myself, what cute kimono do I want to put on today? You know what I mean? Like just all the things like for myself. By the time I looked up, my morning routine is like four hours. But guess what? That's the real fucking work. Yeah. So when I actually sit down for whatever I'm technically creating that day, whether, you know, writing or something, literally my vessel is so open. Me and God have, have talked when I sit down, I knock that mm. shit out and I move about my day. Yeah. I, so technically it's like a two hour work day, but I work four yeah. hours. Like that's the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, we're, so okay, tra- yeah. we're so trapped into not knowing yeah. that that's the actual, that's the work. Yeah. yeah. Like what I'm hearing is, like the operating on that anger, the unsustainable work, that's kind of like still the, the capitalist work, the patriarchal yes. work. That's um, the measure. Yeah. Like that's the yeah. measure. You and know? like creating space for ease and alignment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is like kind of, I think one of the most effective ways to quote unquote resist patriarchy. Mm-hmm. or to do anti-racist work or to realign with the environment or whatever it is, like all the intersections there, mm-hmm. right? Is to self-care, is to rest. Um, did you have more to say? I don't want to hop into Me? something. Me? No, yeah. girl. I'm, I'm like looking ramble. at you like you know where you are. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm looking into your eyes. Let's <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think, you know, I agree. It, uh, it continues to come in waves. Um, we, become, we, we become more resilient. We build up that resiliency muscle so mm-hmm. we're able to cycle through it with a little more ease and a little faster. Every time I think that I have done enough work in that area and I'm feeling like very good about it, something will happen. Same for a similar experience yeah. to Jean. <laughs> like, I, I don't really ever get attacked on Instagram. Um, but in like the last three weeks, I've had three men and they're all white men who seem to be over the age of 50 tell me that what I've posted is wrong, point blank. Like something where I'm just sharing my feelings mm-hmm. or a quote. And it does, it triggers this like, of course it's a white man. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, <laughs> like what limiting beliefs am I holding? What anger is still alive within me that's making me feel this triggered and reactive? Um, and how can I find a way to move through that so that I'm either no longer attracting that energy or that when it does arrive, I can just, this is a big one, I can just like love them where they are 
and not mm-hmm. engage and not react. And I've had this discussion with many people recently too. Um, I have the privilege of, I guess, I guess the privilege of not being a citizen. So the current president is not mine technically. Um, <laughs> a lot of very polarizing figure, a very polarizing figure. But I have gotten to a point in my work where, you know, I said to some people the other day, I'm able to love him as a human being, like to see him as this flawed fallible man like everybody else we all have our stuff I don't have to agree with anything he says I can still stand in my power and take action to do the things that are meaningful to me and to support the groups and causes that are meaningful to me and follow that inner guidance um I don't even have to like him as a human but I can still look at him and see the love that exists between all of us because we are all connected and we are all mirrors of one another, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we like it or not. There is something within the collective consciousness that causes these types of men in power to exist. They're like characters that we've Mm -hmm. created because Mm -hmm. we have some stuff that we still need to um, heal and take care of. And one of the realizations that I had was how deeply enmeshed our uh, adult perspectives and perceptions are with our, our childhood wounds and the importance of doing that inner child work. I think when it comes to looking for leadership in any aspect of our life, in most countries of the world, it's still a predominantly male dominated field, even if they've had, you know, a female head of state or something, it has historically mostly been men. And I think for a lot of us, we have, um, on the one hand, this sort of mother wound energy Mm -hmm. that goes unaddressed Mm -hmm. that causes us to, um, in some cases, even despise or distrust feminine energy, even within ourselves to want to like do away with it. And then we also have this, this thing that's been programmed into us, this desire, this need to have daddy come in and save the day. Mm-hmm. And so we put this unreasonable amount of pressure on public figures and leaders, even, even women who are more in their masculine, who serve in those positions. Um, we put this unreasonable... Uh, imprint upon them where we expect them to come in and make everything okay and save the day. And, and like I said, at the end of the day, they are fallible humans. They're going to fail us if we keep giving our power away to them. Mm. Now I want to, I want to uh, ask more about this because Christy said something very controversial and I want to make sure that no one takes it the wrong way. You love okay. president Trump as a human being, you don't like him, you don't believe in his policies, but you love him. And I think that's a really amazing example to um, move in the world. How how do you react, and this is a general question, how do you react when you uh, meet someone or someone displays, um, uh, let's say, like the older white men over 50 who commented on your post? 
you had to take a step, you have to take a step back, breathe in, but how do you not operate out of that? You don't understand me. You don't have empathy towards me. How could you ever know? Um, sure. How, how do we respond with that empathy? Even if what they're saying is making our blood boil, mm-hmm. like yes, whether or not yeah. they're saying all lives mm-hmm. matter, whether or not they're saying, um, you know, I don't believe in global climate change. How do we respond to them as human beings with that love? It's a journey for sure. <laughs> I, I, um, <laughs> oh my God, yeah. I, I've, I think I've always been tempted to say I naturally had this fire running through me um, and would default to anger, but I've understood now that it was programming and it's something that I inherited from uh, my parents and, and through the family line and it's not within my heart and soul. Um, anger is a beautiful thing though. Like when it arises, I encourage people to let it out. And I'm not like, you shouldn't be angry about this. It's, it's, um, it's a signal that a boundary is being crossed or that we've had enough, right? It can, if we can alchemize it, if we can turn it into action and then get into that flow state that Kyra was talking about, then like we're unstoppable. It's when it is becoming that poisonous thing and it's like paralyzing us. Um, So, yeah, I don't know that I have like a really direct answer. I kept doing the work. I kept getting curious about why am I feeling this way? I kept moving through my triggers and allowing myself to feel. And I think now I'm at the point where when it happens and I feel that button being pushed and I start to default to how I used to react, I try to imagine those parts of me existing in that person. I'm familiar with my wounds and my triggers, right? And so it's like, if I'm feeling this way, if I'm feeling like I'm under attack because, you know, whatever, it's tied to an abandonment issue or it's tied to this or it's tied to that, I can see how my reactivity is grounded in my pain and my hurt and the struggles that I've been through. And since we're all human, I then know that that person is also coming from a place of pain. I don't necessarily know what, I mean, I can read energy, so I can usually figure out what their pain is, but I don't necessarily know for sure. I haven't necessarily had a conversation with them about it. That in and of itself amplifies my empathy times infinity. Just taking that moment to be like, wait a minute, if this is causing me pain, this person is probably also reacting from a place of pain. And in my experience, when I, th- I think there's a lot of this happening in the world right now, and again, it's okay, we don't need to judge it. But like when you have two people coming together, who are both projecting their wounds onto each other, the tendency is to like, say something offensive, become reactive, say something offensive in return. And then there's just this back and forth of like screaming at each other. If we can get to a place where we recognize the pain in the other, because we're all connected anyway, and ground down and open our hearts and just be there for them. They start yelling at us and we just like take a breath and go, okay, what else you got? And let them burn it out and offer them that loving sort of container without judging what they're throwing at us. Again, we don't have to agree with any of it. We don't have to like any of it. But that, in my experience, is the fastest way to disarm someone. One of two things is going to happen. They're either going to soften in your presence 
and be like, thank you so much for hearing me. I feel so much better now. I'm sorry if I hurt you. Or you're going to become like their biggest frustration and they're going to walk away and disengage because you're not reacting. And either way, you get to be free. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? uh, what you just described yeah. is, has been my life for the last month. So oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm supposed to say this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. So I was working for unemployment. I was uh, taking calls for people calling about their unemployment claims. And it was the biggest uh, like advanced lesson in empathy because my, my role in that job is to empathize with them, which thankfully I'm, that's like my natural go-to, but there's also some things I'm limited and I can't, and I can't help them. Like mm. I'll just have to like escalate their claim for a UI specialist to look at it. And they're like, they've never called me back. Every time you escalate my claim, they'd never call me back. And I'm like, I know it sucks. And I, this is the only way I have to do, but I'm going to put my energy out for you. But I've had some angry customers and to the point where I, after I got off the phone, I was shaking, but I just had to remember that, you know, I had been on the other side too. I was unemployed. I didn't get my money for months. I was living off of my girlfriend and just so grateful for her. But like, I know that scary feeling too. So I just had to like keep putting themselves, keep putting myself in their shoes and know that it's not about me and that it is about the system and, but like, just exactly what you say, hold your ground, keep saying, I know, I hear you and it's mm-hmm. awful. And I'm going to be right by, I'm going to be right here with you. Cause I'm also not legally yeah. allowed to hang up the phone. <laughs> too. Totally. Like, I think, I think we're conditioned and programmed from a young age globally through like, listen to your parents, listen to the teacher, like, we're always diverting to something outside of us and waiting mm. for feedback to tell us we're good and right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the truth is there are actually very few things that we encounter in life that are objectively right or wrong. Mm-hmm. So like I also keep saying to people, we don't have to agree on anything mm. to love one another and be friends. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm. there's going to be some commonality that we can talk about and if there's truly nothing then we can come at our differences from a place of curiosity just like that's so interesting I would love to understand more about your perspective I don't have to take it on it doesn't Mm. have to become my perspective you don't have to be right or wrong I don't have to be right or wrong but like let's sit down and have a cup of coffee and just enjoy learning about this human experience both of what you guys said, I, I have so many thoughts because you spark so many things with me um but like Chris what you're saying oh first of all like if I could behave the way that you behave it's so hard you know it's so I don't do it hard. all the time oh my god I know, but it's like, it's those triggers right and we as I get more familiar with my triggers and where and you know and sort of learning more about my wounds and all of that it's like so we were talking about anger initially right sort of this how do we and I, it's funny for me what's been interesting in my journey is that I realized recently that I've never uh, in my family of origin I've never been allowed to express my anger and so that's been an interesting experience for me because, which of course then makes me angry, right? So I highly but, recommend screaming into a pillow. Oh yeah, no, I know. There's all these like, you know, and I like to work out and stuff, but it's like, 
but but <laughs> anger has been the allowed domain of men not women and mm. whenever i've expressed anger or something that i've been upset about and i don't i'm not someone who will wallow in it because that's just really not how i'm built um but it's important i'm learning it's important for me to, to express it um and and i remember growing up you know a lot of the messaging from you know the, the women in my family is is you know, well, you don't want to, you got to move past it. You don't want to feel that, you know, it was always move past it. Don't live it. You don't have the, it wasn't even, but I couldn't even express it in any way. Mm. So it's interesting. And it's, so just the, the whole nature of anger, I find very interesting because, and then what you said about it, Krista, is like, if we can um, not, the metabolize is not the word you use, but that's the version of it. You know what I mean? Is that we can take it and, yeah. and do something with it. And, um, and that that's so powerful. And so for me, actually engaging with my anger uh, has been very powerful for me because it's like you said, it's, I love, by the way, Chris, that you just said that anger is beautiful. Like that is not a message I have ever received. And, and uh, because anger was always used in my family as a way to communicate. It was used as a way, you know, there, there wasn't a way to communicate really without that in, in a way. And so what's so wonderful but th about that is that yes it's a sign that boundaries are being crossed or it's a sign that something mm -hmm. isn't okay it's it's a it's a it's a spark moment of oh something's not okay you know and and like you're saying when you know these guys comment on your stuff it's like acknowledging that and and seeing that as opposed to reacting right and that's mm -hmm. again that's not my origin story that it, reaction is the base of my origin story and so, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> I had to, I was like the middle child, you know, so there's all this stuff about, about this often happens with middle children being the sort of fixers and the mediators and stuff. And so, mm -hmm. and so it feels like only more recently that I've been like, wait a minute, like I didn't sign up for that. I didn't ask for that, you know, and why mm -hmm. are all these expectations being put on me? Um, and then when I, and then of course, when you start to create space and boundaries, of course, it, it doesn't go well. Uh, mm -hmm. So it, yes. It's, <laughs> and then, and, but then what you said, it's like, it's, it's just an opinion, right? Like you said, like that person who's sharing that for their, whatever they put on your post, it's, it's an opinion. It doesn't, it, right. And it's actually has, you know, it has nothing to do with you. And, mm. and that, that, like that nugget is so important and so hard because reactivity is all about how it has something to do with you and all about how it's judgment on your character, right. And all of this. And, um, so I just, yeah, I just think it's such a fascinating relationship and such like, and again, it all starts coming back, you know, to the president, to our president. It's like, who, you know, I can't express love towards them, but I, I mean, but I, but I hear what you're saying in that. If it's a fairly new a, thing for me. It's yeah, but, like, <laughs> but if you look at him, cause really, if you look at him as a child, which is really yeah. what he is, right? If you look, he's a hurt and wounded and scared and anxious and insecure, like he's a child. And in that sense, he's a child's been given extraordinary power, which is what's so scary. Uh, but, but most like, people are, yeah. like most people are scared little children right. who want to be told mm. they're good and okay walking yeah. around mm. in adult suit. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also curious, I think this is completely related, but, uh, the idea of cancel culture right now with um, mm. like, even like being asked to do this podcast, I was afraid at first. Cause I'm like, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I offend mm. someone and then boom canceled and I will, all of my trauma will just be re-triggered and mm. I 
can't even help myself, which doesn't help anyone in the right. world. So but our triggers are our best friends. Mm-hmm. Our <laughs> triggers are like that anger, right? <laughs> Indicate yeah, yeah. where we need to heal, right? Yeah. And I'm not mm-hmm. only talking about you, but out there, yeah, totally. Like just cancel people. We don't want to be triggered. Trigger warnings. Trigger warnings started like a professor started using trigger warnings to give students an opportunity to take a breath and then face what was coming, not to mm-hmm. leave and avoid it. Right. Mm. Right. Like. Mm-hmm everything's been kind of skewed. I'm sorry. I, I, did you have more no, to say? Oh, yeah. I will just always <laughs> jump in. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I've, I've had a lot, I've had a lot to say on cancel culture lately too. Yeah. There's yeah. no empathy in it. There's, there's no, no empathy. I was just listening to a podcast about mm-hmm. this today. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's no empathy. And I think with the given, um, just culture that we're in of like doing a lot of anti-racist work, anti-patriarchal work, anti-capitalist work. It's like, if you don't know everything, uh, 150%, you're canceled, at least online, because that's a safe space to do it, canceled. So I'm curious, how do you perceive moving forward for the betterment of society to teach and learn whether or not you are you are the one who quote made a mistake. We're all human. We made mistakes where you're being canceled or in the other position. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear more about that. I answer. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think, I think it's interesting. I think it's all connected cancel culture and the idea of, how we look to authority figures or something outside of us to have Mm -hmm. the answer or to be Mm -hmm. perfect. Um, I really feel at the end of the day, so much of this is once people, once people are able to take the time to realize that we're all part of a huge marketing PR scheme, (laughs) Like, <laughs> no, we are. Yes. Like, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, ev- everything yeah. was invented. Everything was invented. I mean, if we're talking about America, it, it starts with race. Like, we had to invent the idea that, okay, Black people are lesser than you can make them slay. We, they had to invent that so that mm-hmm. poor white people would still feel like, oh, there's someone that I'm better than. Mm-hmm. that's literally how all this started mm-hmm. yeah and or so even just to create more division in general and to still perpetuate that I also keep saying to people like are you aware of the ways in which you are currently today being played by the media and we all work in media like not so yeah yeah, yeah. Totally pull that apart yeah. <laughs> well I think there's a you difference know. too between to me the media and storytelling i mean the minute the minute there became the 24-hour news cycle it is hard for all of the work that we're saying to sit with yourself you can't you can't give someone something you don't have people don't have empathy for themselves people don't see themselves people are hard on themselves people are Mm -hmm. angry with themselves people Mm -hmm. are all of that with themselves so when we give this lip service of Mm -hmm. just love everybody you literally have not started there's a whole system that has been created to make that person feel to make us feel in lack so that we know okay i have to get this house, get this car, make mm-hmm. this amount of money. I have to, um, especially for black people who were generations behind, I have to make sure 
you know, home ownership and no, you know, that's mm-hmm. the most important thing. And then sending my kids to college and then like the debt. Dressing it, it, well. Dressing I was just reading well. about that too. That yeah. like a lot of, a lot mm-hmm. of slaves were like dressed up on Sunday when their owners went mm-hmm. to church and they were Absolutely. like braided around. That was the only time they got any attention or appreciation was when they were well-dressed. And that's still alive in the DNA of many Black Americans of, like, I always have to, absolutely present well, have Mm -hmm. to, like, drop a ton of money on, like, designer things, which, like, honestly, it looks amazing. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But it doesn't make us (laughs) happy whole humans. Right. Yeah. No. So everyone is so, everyone is so, there's just this place of lack Mm-hmm. Of course, as a black woman, I'm going to see it very specifically in one way. But once you've, once you've, okay, there's like the big level here. At a certain point, you have to get into your own tiny little house, like with yourself. Like, you know what I mean? And once you've yeah. done that, then you're able to look back out of that house. And instead of like a cancel culture, you can see it's literally the same thread. It's the same shame. It's the same lack. It's the same disconnect. Mm -hmm. It's the same confusion. It's literally the same thing. I think the only difference is because, and this has to happen in order for Crystal, like you were saying earlier, for things to start to heal in a real way, not a fake way. Mm -hmm. To me, the only difference is you're taking generations and generations of this anger coming from, white men, white capitalism, that amount of anger has turned into a level of rage that is so violent Mm -hmm. that no one is safe. It's so violent Mm -hmm. that everyone is at risk. Like, you know what I mean? It's so damaging to everyone. I I I put up a bunch of like very honest stories, I think last week about um, my, you know, years ago, my obsession, my lifelong obsession until recently with being thinner and making myself smaller and the way that we think um, society forces that upon women. And I was speaking very candidly about like, when I was at my absolute thinnest, I had a protein shake for breakfast, a protein shake for lunch and a chicken breast with some vegetables for dinner. And that was it. And that's what I needed to do and like work out like eight hours a day in order to be like the high end of what is deemed to be healthy for my height, which was very, very tiny. Anyway, the point is in sharing this, most of the people who responded and reached out to me saying I can relate and I'm struggling with binge eating and um, obsessive food behaviors and stuff were white men. Most mm. of the people who reached out to me privately and nobody's talking about it, right? Yeah. It, it is affecting all of us. It is causing grave harm to all of us. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's so interesting. I, yeah, I totally agree with that, that it's causing harm to all of us. And one of the things that I think is interesting when we talk about cancel culture is I think there's a sense that that's the same thing as accountability, right? Because I'm all about accountability. Mm, but I yeah. don't think that cancel culture and accountability are the same thing, right? Accountability is someone actually engaging in what happened, taking responsibility, learning, growing, right? To me, this is actually really important. And sometimes, and sometimes they might not want to learn and grow and they're not able to change. And then they do need to not be in that job or do, right? I mean, I'm not saying that yeah. you know, people do need to be fired. Some people are just not. Sure. It's very nuanced. Yeah. 
it's very right, nuanced. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. yes. right. but yeah. it's like, but if, but we, but that, and of course that's so much harder. It's so much harder to do that. It's not clear. It's fuzzy. It's gray. How do we find our way through that? What are the rules? You know, and, and cancel culture is you can just cancel something, right? It's, it's a much simpler. You just, it's one and done. I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. I just don't want to deal with it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's actually not engaging in it. And, and I think, uh, and it's hard, of course, because engaging in it, it re-triggers, it brings trauma. I mean, it's hard, hard right. work. Then you have and, to face your yeah. feelings. Yeah. And like, and also yeah. for the people who, you know, for yeah. in like me too, and with everything going on right now with Black Lives Matter, it's like, you know, it's, it shouldn't be on the, on, on victims of sexual assault. It shouldn't be on Black people to address and to solve, right? It's like, it's not their job. It's not, right? It's like. Uh, and so this is also how do we find a way to get through this when also those people are the people best qualified to help, right? And to have information and to be an example of like, this is how it makes me feel. This is how, right? Let me try to show you the humanity in this experience. And one of the things that I keep thinking of in this whole process of both like the Me Too movement and I mean, Black Lives Matter is a little bit different. I think I, I do. I don't think it would work in quite the same way. I was thinking more specifically with like experiences within like um, workplaces. It could, it could certainly work for various topics. Right. But in, I lived in South Africa for a while. And of course, um, after apartheid, they had the truth and reconciliation commission, which was, was not perfect. Certainly there, there, there were flaws to it, but it did allow this sort of like national and international in many ways, like catharsis and reckoning, where people got to say what had happened to them and their perpetrators, you know, were there in front of them. And yeah. I think, and that's hard, it's hard mm. work, you know, but yeah, it's yeah. really valuable work. And I was like, ah, yeah. is there something we can do that's more like that? Because that's actually what we need to do. Yeah. You know, I think, that, no, that's I think, the work. I think acknowledging it is huge. And Kyra, I know you grew up in Germany and I lived in Berlin for a while. I have family mm. in Germany as well. And, um, you know, they, in many places, especially in Berlin, any of the structures and buildings that had been destroyed, they built new structures out of the base. They left the bases with the burn marks and the bullet holes. They built, um, literally the translation is like thinking station or thinking statue to honor Jewish lives that were lost or any marginalized group. There are some that are specifically for uh, homosexuals, like different groups of people mm. where the whole point is just to go and take in this, um, this sculpture or structure or to go into a museum, but to quietly reflect upon the history in acknowledgement of what happened. And I think that's completely lacking in the U.S. I think our generation is trying to acknowledge it, but it has been lacking. I, you know, have spoken within our group about the other half of my family being Armenian, which is a totally different perspective where you had uh, brown people attacking some of the whitest people in the Middle East and the, the only Christian culture in the Middle East. Um, but it's the same thing where most Turkish people that I meet today uh, we either both find neutral ground and, and common ground to connect on it, and we don't hold each other accountable for the past, or they acknowledge and honor the history of my family. But the government itself to this day says, 
it never happened. Armenians made it up. They're liars or it was part of the war. Um, it's very, it takes a very strong individual who is willing to do that deep inner work to let that anger go and to move beyond mm. it. It's very difficult for an entire mm. culture to heal when the oppressors or perpetrators won't even acknowledge that it happened. And it's my understanding that specifically in certain Southern states in the US, there is a deep resistance to acknowledging mm -hmm. that it was even an issue where you have certain communities who are like, oh, like, you know, my grandfather was a slave owner, but they were treated like family and they were lucky to have a roof over their head. There's just a complete I don't want to say unwillingness. I think it's an inability because it's their pain as well, right? It's mm -hmm. that same, they have to acknowledge their own feelings about it in order to say, I'm so sorry that people did this to members of your community. It happened. It was real and it was wrong. Mm. Yeah. It's like that, that honest dialogue and not yeah. a monologue, whether yeah. it's the oppressor mm -hmm. saying their feelings and the, or the one who was oppressed was saying their feelings and the oppressor's not listening or vice versa. And there needs to be a dialogue. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with David Bohm. Uh, he wrote a book called On Dialogue and it is such a quick read and so enlightening to just going about our everyday lives from being online to being like just walking down the street or now, you know, in our in our confined spaces, but like how often are you actually engaged in a dialogue? I can so grateful to say that we are right now, but truly where, where does actual dialogue happen? You know, that's, that's something that I hope to see the dialogue to reemerge rather than just the monologue coming from the media, coming from the uh, social media, co coming from just noticing your fellow neighbors down the street but it's that, that true listening. Mm -hmm. I love that you said about the dialogue because I think when it comes to social media and the media cycle now, there's this illusion, there's this narrative that that is dialogue. It's not. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really, it, it, it's really not. Um, and I feel like that next level of dialogue that you have to have, to me, it's about having a lot of honesty and realizing that with anything where you're moving a collective group of people in a different direction, most people are not going to have the calling or the capacity to do that. It's the, it's the people who do have the capacity and the calling to do that who will start to lead by example and maybe not in our lifetime, but the ripple effects of that. And for me, once I wrap my head around that, it makes it easier because then again, I can kind of, even though I'm existing in this system, I can also create my own little system <laughs> that works for me. So when I acknowledge yeah. that understanding what social media is for, for me in particular, what it's for or or the news or whatever, to me, it's not as informative. It's not a place people, um, what's the word? Our society is like, we're not hardwired now for like 
thoughtful, emotional, and tell, like you got to say yes. it short yes. and quick and fast yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, and liter- so I it think, literally is programming. Yeah, it's programming. It's called mm-hmm. television programming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's it, one perspective and we're, we're programming your mind, right? It, like, it is. And so I feel like for me, once I made the decision to trust myself, like going back to what we said earlier, when I was like, wow, when my mornings are these four or five hours dedicated to this, I'm getting a lot more downloads of what I'm supposed to create. And so for me, it's knowing that that has, that has its place, but the more that I dive into other things, it helps me be one of those people who can really be a place of refuge and reimagination. And and we can't expect that everyone's going to do that. I think that's the sentiment right now. Like everyone just thinks that everyone is going to do, everyone's going to do that's impossible. That's not good. That's completely impossible. So it's also, I think it's also um, part of the very, and I love, love, love where I am and I love Americans, but it's part of that very insular American perspective that, everything revolves around like people are shocked that I didn't learn American history in Canada. And I'm like, well, did you learn Canadian history? (laughs) Right. Like, did you learn to speak French, which is an official language in Canada? Like maybe you learned a little, but, um, but it's like once we zoom out of the U S or even North America, how Mm -hmm. many different cultures and perspectives and horrific things have happened historically it's not only impossible to know everything within this sort of microcosm, but it's impossible for one person to know or have an awareness of every single nuanced thing that might hurt or offend every single person on the planet. We Mm -hmm. also have to meet others with compassion and empathy and be like, Oh, you're triggering me. But I understand that you can't possibly know every single thing that's going to be a trigger for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. there's even, there's like a, there's a danger and a light to that too. So in honoring um, people who have been oppressed, marginalized communities, we want to honor that, but also not blanket saying that you're going to have the same exact trauma that right. so your it's culture different. has had. Yeah. It's right. like, yeah. So it's mm-hmm. so nuanced. Like, honor what it's like to be a black woman in America, honor what it's like to be indigenous in America. But I can't just assume that everyone has had that same experience and right, right. that same way. And I think that's where it comes back to like everything Kyra has been saying is like everything that I keep telling people like as within, so without, right? Whatever's going on in here mm-hmm. is what's being reflected mm-hmm. to us into the world. We, there are like almost 8 billion versions of the truth circulating right now because we're all seeing things through our own lens and our own wounds. And if you want to change what you're seeing out there, it starts by taking care of yourself. And I'm the same. It takes me about four hours to get into my day. (laughs) Take that time for myself. Then I'm like super productive. I'm in flow. And when I I feel cared for, I'm able to then hold space for others. And I totally agree. I think the way forward is for everyone to stop looking out there and saying, I hate this and I hate that person and I don't like this and I don't like this and going, where am I at war with myself? And how do I start to pull that apart and heal that? And then, like you said, lead by example. How can I create my own little community and way of being? Because when we feel 
whole and when we love ourselves and care for ourselves, a lot of these issues take care of themselves. Like it's, it's impossible to hate another human because we're not being triggered into hating them. Right. We look at them and we see love. And like I was saying earlier, we don't have to agree with everything that they agree with. We don't have to see eye to eye on, on everything, but when we truly love ourselves, and it's such a, oh my God, I remember like for years, people saying to me, people who didn't know how to love themselves saying to me, just love yourself because it's something mm. that people in our culture say. Mm. And I would like, just like get so tightly wound and I would be like, did I miss something? Like what, did I miss a, a week at school or something where everyone was taught <laughs> this is how you love yourself, especially in this type of culture and society? Like everybody keeps talking about it and I yeah. don't understand it. And then I kept, you know, doing the work and that's going to look different for every single person. Yeah. Like one answer to be like, you know, follow these steps. Um, and one day I looked in the mirror and I felt like I was looking at like a six-year-old version of myself when I was like so pure and whole and, oh my God, I said, I love you so many times a day that my mom mm. would be like, again, like, you know, like, she had her own pain and stuff, right? It was a lot to receive. Mm -hmm. But I, I finally felt like I found myself again, my essence. Uh, it's tough for a lot of people, though. It's tough for a lot of people to even embark on that journey because it does mean sitting down and acknowledging that we've been hurt and that we have anger and we weren't allowed to express mm -hmm. these things. And especially this generation, not to, like, I think each generation brings its own gifts and stuff, but people who are a little bit younger than us, this whole, like, I don't want to catch feelings. Like it's a disease kind of <laughs> yeah. form that exists. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, you're human. And that's the way that we heal and move forward. <laughs> feelings are good. <laughs> I would love to hear how um, everyone integrates their masculine in a healthy way with their feminine. I'll Ooh. leave it at that. Because <laughs> we just can't have the feminine, right? We need to still honor the masculine with us. Yeah. But how can that be in a healthy and safe way for the betterment of our world? I do like, I, I don't know if this con is considered the masculine. To, to me, it is. Um, decisive action um just that energy uh, like if I think of feminine I think of well we're water and fire so I don't here's the thing the thing about feminine is we're actually everything we're not missing anything to be honest so I don't even know even what I would consider masculine would be me just going into like more of the fire of the feminine so mm. I don't <laughs> I mean I don't know I we're the only ones that can create something that like but yeah. I, I think maybe that um, that decisive action um, and structure after there's been after there's been a proper flow and body connection and all of that, I think that structure is um, is helpful. Um, and it's weird, as I'm talking, I think I'm, I'm really going to have to sit with the idea of even the masculine, and that's maybe where so much of that pain and not loving yourself can come from. Like you said, Krista, is 
to me when I think masculine and when I also think whiteness. So then if you combine those two together, white masculinity, it is a level of pain that's so deep because you've bought into something that no matter what, at the end of the day, it never makes you feel better. You're constantly on this. It never makes you Mm -hmm. feel better because your better is only subject to because I'm crushing this group of people or I'm doing like, it's only built on that, which is just a hollow place to live. So I think I forgot my point, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you right there with you. I think I forgot my point is it's, it's making me realize I want to think you were getting at like, it's difficult for you. It's actually difficult to even, to me, the, the masculine, even when I try to attribute something to the masculine, there's so yeah. much, there's so much pain and heaviness to actually what the masculine is. Right. I think maybe there's a whole nother conversation, honestly, of fucking liberating the masculine. Like, is the masculine yeah, yeah. even really real? Mm. Well, cause, well, cause Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And we're also used to the wounded masculine. We don't have right. many... Right mainstream examples of and I've really been consciously trying to post a lot of especially after the are we calling it the WAP video the music video I say WAP but I don't know if I'm right I have no idea what you're talking about the WAP or WAP but then like WAP sounds like a (laughs) an old school <laughs> derogatory term. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm, the, I what, could be the, wrong. I'm not on the cusp. The whole video, so right? I don't like, know. So I'm all for, like, if, if it resonates with people, that's amazing. I watched it and I was like, oh, that's a lot of heavy, dark energy in there. Like, and I had the realization that what is reading as female empowerment to people is like the uh, pair or parallel to toxic masculinity. Mm. We don't have a lot of examples of not only like um, conscious embodied divine masculinity, but we also have been taught to shun that feminine aspect. So I was like sharing videos of like women just kind of like moving, being fully embodied and expressing their sensuality and sexuality in this kind of snaky fluid way that we don't, that's soft, Mm. powerful that we don't see a lot of and also being cautious to say there's no right or wrong way. It's not to say what's going on in the video is wrong either. It's just a different plane or a different level. And then I found this incredible post, this man, deeply conscious man had posted this photo of him sitting with his partner laying on her back and her legs wrapped around him. She was fully clothed and he just had his hands on her womb space. And he had written this whole thing about his own journey of working through his pain as it was connected to the feminine and really learning to deeply honor the womb as like Mm. this beautiful creative space. And I was like, whoa, like that's the relationship I want. Like who is doing that right now? Right. We don't have examples. And a lot of men had commented on his post. That's weird, man. And he was like, I'm so sorry that you feel that it's weird. You came from the womb. Like, yeah. could you go and unpack that? Like, what are your feelings about that? And I think that's maybe part of the struggle that I feel too, Kyra. Is like, we don't, 
I, I think ideally the, the whole healed masculine is just this, I think of like ballroom dancers, right? Or, or just dancers in general, how like the man is sort of this, or the masculine is this pillar of strength that holds space for the woman to kind of flow yeah. and be fluid and yeah. like spin around and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. we do, we do a whole, yeah. Like that's really interesting yeah. to me. And, and, and I need to say just cause being the only black girl on here, you know, I'm always very, as far as that video, hip hop culture is its own whole, that's its sure. own whole animal. For sure. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, the thing to me about hip hop is hip hop is also always a young person's medium. And when I'm looking at Cardi B and make the salient, these are still young girls. These girls totally. are still in their 20. You know totally. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. it's, it, and then you're, you're the amount of, and then now your art is also this very commercial thing. So then you have capitalism. Yeah. Hip hop is a fucking beast. Like there's yeah. so many levels and everyone that's getting yeah. into it and the successful, they're very young. So then you also, there's not that, that yeah. breath. And, and so I feel like, I do feel like when I am watching them, I am watching them be authentically who they are. Mm-hmm. And so it's like in that sense of if sure. you're talking about, yeah. so it's like, it's like, okay, that's who you are. But I liken it to like when I was younger and when um, Deaf Comedy Jam was like a big thing and like all the black standups were going to Deaf Comedy Jam. What was always interesting to me is the women, it's like they had to get up there and basically talk like the men. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or there, there was the perception that they thought that they had to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, and, and so I, I understand, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's I, exactly I get, what I was getting I get at. Like saying, they're yeah. kind of taking, and that's why I'm saying it's not wrong because they're, I think one of the beautiful things that is overlooked about hip hop and even like straight up rap is how, um, in a sense, it's like, almost a healing modality for like the root chakra, like that, um, that energy center that's focused on safety versus scarcity. Like it's, it's Mm. a cool way, similar to like, we were talking about anger being a way to alchemize certain things. Like it's a cool way to like work through some of that stuff, even the way we move our body to those beats. I mean, maybe I don't do Mm -hmm. it as elegantly as, (laughs) Uh, you know, a black woman, <laughs> but it, it is, it's working with that part of the body even. Right. So that's why I definitely say it's not wrong, but I just watching it, I felt like it was just kind of, um, this is a woman's answer to the way that men do it instead of letting it be its own feminine thing on its own. Cause we don't, yeah, we don't get to see I, that. And we don't get yeah. to see that masculine, that masculinity either. It is yeah. hard to put our fingers on it. Yeah, no, I, I, def, I definitely get that. And I think that's the beauty. I, I, I hope, you know, I hope to see more women in their position, like yeah. age beautifully and age out of like, like it's such a, a lot of people don't, they don't ever age out of it because that industry is just mm-hmm. so weird. It's same thing as like entertainment yeah. and Hollywood. It's mm-hmm. so weird that you can kind of get yeah. trapped and not, but if you like, AJ, I'm, I'm curious, you know, 
to see because that right now to me my impression just outside looking in is that is their definition of femininity Mm -hmm. is my version of doing you like you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and you just combine that with with something that is cool what I do appreciate which if we're talking about like empathy or something we could all take with us that level of rawness of like getting stuff out of your system and just saying anything doing anything something something about there's a level of that as we're talking about all these other issues honestly that you have to be able to talk about yes. you know what I mean that you have to be yes. able to have that wiring in there that you're yes. going to get to a certain point and you're just going to talk about raw you know emotions or yes. whatever you know particularly Cardi B like I've seen her do stuff mm-hmm. where she'll yeah. you know something hurts her feelings and she's upset she's telling you you know it hurts my feelings when you guys do this, do this. so it's, it's so yeah, yeah it's very honest mm-hmm. like that level yeah. of being so honest just right where you're at and mm-hmm. not to our point earlier not been canceling everybody or saying oh they're bad role models to you know to girls or you know it's like when you go into yes. that whole we're not it's like we're not even where yeah. are we going just yeah. where are we going yeah, yeah exactly could someone send me this video after our podcast i have not yes. i have no idea what's going on <laughs> And you know what's interesting is I have heard of it and I have seen, and I actually been meaning, I've seen reactions to it and parodies of it, but I actually still haven't seen the original video. video. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. <laughs> so, I, so I'm like aware, I, I understand that it's existing out there and I've seen, and so, and I, it reminded me now that it's like, oh yeah, I meant to go back and like actually look at the, you know, watch the original like source yeah. material. But yeah, like yeah. talking, talking about just, this is like sort of aside this, I, Kyra, you brought up hip hop culture and, you know, the sort of masculine nature of it. And um, there's this wonderful, I don't know if you guys saw, it was the women film, like fun, you know, big gala last year, Issa Rae, who I just adore, um, accepted the young entrepreneur, you know, of, of the year. It was like a young mm. female entrepreneur. And I think it was like the first time they given it out. And I mean, you know, she's so brilliant and she gets up and does, and she basically prefaces, she's like, so, you know, all of you know so many of my like idols and heroes and our our um our our rappers or rap artists you know and so I'm gonna take a page out of their book for this speech essentially she says it in a funnier way than that and she then goes on to do, I mean I it's like I don't want to give away it's so funny I actually posted it on my Instagram because I thought it was so brilliant so you can find it there I don't know if it's available like you know anywhere else but uh she basically just it's like that sort of very like I did this all on my own nobody helped me you know like she calls out her agents and managers and is like y'all ain't shit like keeps like you know keeping giving me my money like it's just it's so brilliant and everyone's like dying with laughter because what's you know it's this it's like women and even she had to preface it which of course is funny because I never really understood the source kind of you know but we're just not we don't get that permission to say those things yeah. like that and it I was have, so yeah. fun yeah yeah so fun to watch her just yeah. be like I own this like it says it was it was like entrepreneur what does entrepreneur mean like it means I did that shit by myself like she it was so <laughs> funny <laughs> you know and it's like it's brilliant because she just takes it you know and of course we all know what it takes to make things happen yeah. you know and so but I just I thought it was brilliant so just speaking to that and the sort of masculine versus feminine and expectations of women how we're supposed to behave and be humble and grateful and all this stuff and she was yeah. totally the opposite you know and it, I love was, that. it was just a brilliant yeah. brilliant like, I she has a reprise when she wins the Emmy. 
Oh my god, me too. I lose well, that. There, I don't. I don't think a woman has uh, done it, but there's a Snoop video too where he's accepting an award, and like it's one of my favorite things ever. I've watched it a million times where he like takes the award mm-hmm. and he's like, I'd like to thank me for showing up every day. I'd like to thank <laughs> me for coming up with the concept. And he just keeps thanking himself. And I'm like, yeah, why are we so not funny. owning that? Right? Like yeah. we can, we can appreciate ourselves and give ourselves credit without being arrogant or pompous right mm, right but yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's frowned upon for women for sure oh boy oh, definitely God, yeah. my therapist <laughs> has had to help me out with that one many a times yeah. like, this help me heal they're like actually it was just you who made yourself heal I'm like <laughs> yeah yeah it was me my short answer to how do i uh how do i balance the masculine and feminine and I would tell anybody this is like, just be. Mm. It's part mm. of the healing as well. It's not, um, and it takes a while, but it's like not holding on to any self-judgment or any of our past shame or like just allow yourself to exist. And that involves moving away from this need for things to fit into neat little boxes that we can put bows on and tuck into cubbies, right? Like it's, Mm. it's messy and it's weird and it doesn't always make sense. And sometimes the shadow side is still going to come out where it's going to come out in like a twisted and toxic way, but there's a lesson in it. It's that quiet space, whether it's when you're meditating or your own form of meditation, when you just get quiet with yourself, I feel like that's when I have the balance of the feminine and masculine, or maybe an unknown androgynous gender. I'm not sure, but I just feel whole. Right. I feel so balanced. I keep balanced. saying that too. Yeah. I'm like, our souls are gender neutral, right? Like we're in a body. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. We, we could have been men in other lives. We could have done, yeah. we could have been white men who oppressed people in other lives. I don't know how it all works. Like, I, I was think not. Anybody does. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I was. No. But like, who knows? <laughs> well, I feel like this is a beautiful button to wrap up this amazing um, conversation dialogue that we all had. I don't know if we want Anna just go around in a circle and just say whatever is on your heart right now as like a, a button to and this chat. I, I just want to say I'm so grateful for this conversation. I, this was so wonderful. And the, I'm about to get into a, a lot of this deep work because it's part of, as you guys talk about it, that's what the work is, right? Like once I get to the page, like when I get to the page, I've, it means I've com- I have done a lot of the work, right? So it's a little scary because mm-hmm. I'm about to embark on this and, and I know that it's going to be hard and, so I just want to say thank you guys for for providing this engagement and support and then this dialogue about the masculine and feminine, which I think is so much, and, and not even it being gendered, but this idea of balance, right? Of yin and yang, of, of, of duality. And, um, because I think trusting that duality and the health of that duality um, is so important for our well-being. Uh, and I'm trying to do better at trusting uh, that the non-dominant narrative I've been told for so long, that trusting that the, the one that hasn't been the loudest has value mm. and is important. And this is really such support to that journey. So thank you. 
Hmm. I'll, I'll say the trust piece. Um, trusting, trusting myself and trusting my steps are ordered right in front of me. I mean, having this, having this conversation with you guys is, is one of the few times I've come out my own little bubble. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's just, it's just a reminder for me. The reason why I've been in the bubble is, is kind of what you were saying. I mean, just the work that I'm doing on myself, you can only produce what you are, you know what I mean? And so knowing that I'm alive in this very specific time, I have a very specific point of view in this very specific time for a very specific reason. And I've been wanting to just really nurture that and take my time. And um, the world right now is just filled with just so much information and you have to keep up with the election and then you know all the events that continue to happen to black people and the police and all of the and it's just I think when this all first started happening I immediately it's like I honestly had a little shame because I felt like I would be further along in my creative career to really make an impact, to be honest. Like I thought I'd be like, okay, let me call up Ava DuVernay and say, girl, what are we about to do? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I literally thought um, I had some shame around that. Um, and, and this, this conversation just talking about doing your own individual work is what feeds the collective. It's just helped to, to nurture what I already know to be true, like to do my steps and that, you know, somebody has to be particularly black woman. I, I, there's just a different way. I really, really would love to um, nourish my people, particularly black women. Um, But I have to do it for myself. (laughs) I have to do it for myself. And so you know, this, you know, I just, I just really take it as an honor and a privilege to be a creative and a storyteller and to know that if I really, really want to create spaces that are places of creative refuge and reimagination and rest, that I have to continue to trust myself and the work that I'm doing that everybody doesn't see and that that's okay. And that that's okay. So, um, yeah, thank you for this. And, um, you know, if any other creators are, you know, listening, I, I just, I just think that's important because sometimes if you're not the loudest and not whatever, you can kind of feel like you're not contributing and Mm. us doing our individual work at our own pace so that, so that when it is shared with the world, it's everything that's supposed to be. I mean, that's the, that's the biggest thing we can do. And we're not always reminded of that. So, yeah. Such a great point. Mm -hmm. Such a good point. Yeah. I'm so grateful for all of you as well. And it's so nice to connect. And I fully agree with everything that's been said. That's totally my MO. I think I often say like run far away from anyone who tells you that the answers are out there, that something outside of you has the answers, even as healers and, and space holders. 
all we're doing is helping people to pull back, peel off the masks, pull back the layers to drop deeper into themselves. And we've been gifted with this incredibly accurate inner GPS system that is our heart and soul. And we've been taught for so long not to trust it or that someone knows better than us what is right for us. And it's just not true. And I've also really learned that no loving, kind, heart-centered action is too small. Someone who is maybe donating millions of dollars, but has a, you know, like a lot of hate and poison in their heart is being in the long term, from my perspective, less impactful than someone who is loving their pet or holding the door for their neighbor and smiling at them. Or I was saying before we really got into the conversation, like I put on a sparkly yellow dress to go for a walk yesterday and 17 people stopped to tell me that it brought them joy. It's such a, it seems like such a silly superficial thing, but in a time where everyone is anxious and fearful and stressed out, it was like, that was like zero effort for me. I had to get dressed and go outside anyway. So it, I think it's those little things, right? Like buying someone who works in the office a cup of coffee, telling a stranger that they, you know, have a funky outfit on, petting a dog. I think those little things add up to something much greater than being able to phone a celebrity if we're not coming from that pure hearted place. Mm -hmm. And just a, a deep echo from what you all have said. I'm just so grateful that you all three are helping me anchor in my light. This time of Corona and social uprising has really, um, has been, has really been a struggle for anchoring in the light because you want to, you want to honor what is going on, but getting swept in that darkness you can lose sight of your own self and your own self-care and knowing that it's okay just to be, and it's okay to not be the loudest one to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. I have felt guilt about that and knowing that yeah. it's okay if I'm not the loudest one, I've always never wanted to be the loudest one. I've just wanted to make an impact and that starts yeah. with my heart. So thank you for reminding me of that and for sharing that. Cause that's what, for me, that is what inter intersectionality is and support is being there for each other and opening our hearts and letting, letting us in. Cause that's where the, that's the spark of a global healing. That's, that's where it begins. Mm -hmm. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank you so wow. much. I have one last thing that just came up. Please. What, what you were saying <laughs> and what Kyra was saying too. Yeah. I, I initially with all of the Black Lives Matters posts and everything, I realized everyone I know was posting about the atrocities which need our attention, but that was all I was seeing. So mm -hmm. I made a conscious decision early on and I kind of put it out there publicly on my social channels. Like I'm not ignoring that side of it. I'm aware of it, but I would rather post art by black American artists or mm. videos that celebrate and show black joy, black kids dancing. Like I would rather focus on the imagery we haven't been seeing and celebrating and the light side of it than to keep perpetuating this 
um, there's a really, really great Russell Brand podcast with, I forget the documentarian's name. I'll let you all know. And I'm sorry to people who are tuning in. (laughs) She talks about uh, being a Persian woman in Europe and the U.S. And she actually like went around to like uh, clan members and stuff and said, like, Mm. do you hate, do you hate me to my face because I'm Muslim and was able to disarm many of them. And she talks about Mm. um, the importance of seeing these examples of joy and the things that we're not typically spending a lot of time recognizing in the media and in the world. Um, So I think that's also a way to be loving and to have an impact that maybe not everyone has on their radar or might think is like too small or, you Mm -hmm. know, might think that we're being ignorant because we're just sharing videos of people dancing and being happy instead of the darker side of things. Well, everyone has, everyone has a job and the media and, and, and the media and the people who are the voiceless who are really hurt. They're, sh- they're sharing that constantly. No, no one, no one is unaware. So yeah. I, so I think, I, I think that it is other people's job to share the joy. And, and yeah. I think that that's important too, because if you to only find that see, balance. yeah, if you only see the suffering and you only see the oppressed, number one, it's, yes. it's traumatic to black people. And two, it's desensitizing to white people. Like it doesn't, right. it doesn't oh, further that's, that's what anything. She was saying. I knew I had yeah. a deeper point. That's what she was saying. She was like, when we make it about that for any non-white culture, the implication is that like, it's kind of this like, Oh, poor brown and black people that's how you yeah, help themselves just, exactly mm. they're just yes. they're just less they're less than and they just can't help themselves and like yes. we know as humans who don't exist in echo chambers <laughs> that not everyone falls into that category that you can't put anyone in a box or a category or stereotype that we are all multifaceted human beings yeah i love that there is no uh, right way to uplift each other. You know, mm, there's no yeah. right way to uplift each other because it's the act of uplifting. Right. That's yeah. nice. Well, I don't know about you ladies, but maybe we should have a part two because we could easily go on for another <laughs> two hours. Liberate, will you have us back again? <laughs> but again, thank you all for taking the time to be here. I really just from the bottom of my heart, like it means so much to me and so much to everyone who is watching. And we, I know we all hope that this conversation can, can continue in your own home and your communities. Um, it all starts with having a dialogue. So all of our love. Thanks Thank for having you. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> if you enjoyed this conversation, like it, subscribe, and share it with your friends. If you want some more amazing resources on your path of liberation, head over to liberateyourself.com and sign up for our mailing list. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram at Liberate Hollywood. All one word or Liberate Emporium. All one word. Until next time liberate yourself. My name is Lily and I'm an energy healer at Liberate Hollywood. I practice pranic healing and I practice theta healing and I'm also psychic and clairvoyant.
I became a healer when I started looking for things, um, certain practices, certain types of therapy to help me heal myself. So at one point in my life, I was going through a really, really, really low point, um, crying all the time, feeling super depressed, feeling really, really stuck. I, I constantly prayed to God for an answer and I was given really, really concrete steps and one of them was learning pranic healing. And so when I started applying those techniques for myself, I started learning and, and really seeing how my life was changing so drastically and was volunteering one day and then people just wanted to pay me for my services and that's just kind of how my journey started. So when people come see me for a healing, they're looking for a variety of things. One, they wanna feel better right away. So part of the energy healing is releasing any kind of stress or any kind of um, anger that they might be feeling or any kind of depression that they may be feeling. But the, what they also want to see is long-term effects. So I'll always say, I'm going to give you homework. You have to apply the homework. The energy healing will also will adjust what your chakra system says, but your thought forms, your behavior will dictate how long the healing lasts. Theta healing is also an energy healing modality that works with uh, reprogramming belief systems in the subconscious mind. So by doing certain techniques, we tap into creator and we, uh, creator will uh, reprogram or do the healing for us. Um, I would just act as a witness to it. It's a really beautiful, powerful technique and, and it really complements um, the readings or other healing modalities. In all forms of energy healing, Regardless of what the practitioner says, it is up to the client to change their life. As a practitioner, we're serving as a channel or as, a, as an instrument for God to do the work, but it is up to the client to, to make better choices. And so as a practitioner, we'll often tell you what those choices are, um, but it's up to you to be held accountable. If you'd like to book a session with me, you can call Liberate Hollywood or Liberate Emporium and we can meet either in person or on the phone or, or via Skype and uh, come with lots of questions. We're going to ask God directly for you what um, he has in store for you. Um, if you have anything that you want to work on energetically, physically, mentally, emotionally, etherically, any whatever it is that you want to work towards, whether it's your career or your relationship, abundance is there for you. So all we got to do is tap in. I love this work and I'm here to support you. Um, and I hope to see you soon. Thanks.